the word of God speaks to us. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning. Doing okay? It's good to be with you guys today and uh, give it up for a short scripture reading. All right? <laughs> Our scripture readers are excited about that. Um, uh, downtown where I'm at most of the time, our scripture readers will often come and go, hey, is there any weird names or weird words in this one today? They're just like worried about falling flat on their face. So really excited for just a simple two verses today. Um, hey, I want to just one more time extend my welcome to Bailey and his wife. We're so glad that you're here. I said that in the last service, but I want to add uh, specifically like just the way that you led so deeply and so heartfully in, in the portions of this morning that you led, like, thank you for that. And I just want to say, as one of the leaders and elders of this church, we receive your ministry, brother. Uh, you don't got to earn that from us. We receive what God's bringing to you, or bringing from you to us. And so we're glad, we're really glad that you're here. Um, hey, the, the Bible passage we're in this morning is Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14. So uh, the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, if you do have a Bible, turn to that passage, and we'll, uh, we'll get to work in just a moment. And uh, I'll say this before we jump into prayer. Uh, Pastor David and his family have two more weeks left on sabbatical. Uh, so they're wrapping that time up. Uh, I know you've missed him. I've missed him. I've enjoyed getting to spend some more time with you guys here uh, in his time out. But I'm, I'm looking forward to him being back. So let's take some time this morning as we jump into scripture to also just pray for them. And I encourage you the next couple of weeks to be praying uh, that that time wraps up in a meaningful way for he and his family. So let's pray and we'll see how God would shape us today. Our Father in heaven, we want to say, as the Lord Jesus taught us to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name, God. I pray that in these next moments together, your name would be made hallowed. It would be made heavy on us. That everything that is of you would be made to come to bear on us. And that our lives would come more, more firmly around the Lord Jesus. That we would submit to him. That we would join in a confession, not just with words, but of heart, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, you are our Lord. And we pray as we sung this morning that Christ would be magnified. God, let that be true. Save us from religion and make our lives have texture of your truth. Christ, be magnified. And God, thank you so much for things like sabbatical and thank you so much for Pastor David and his family I pray that these next two weeks would be really meaningful, that the communion he would spend with you and his family would spend with you and together would be rich. I pray that he would come back a deeper man. Thank you for the leadership that he's brought to this church. and We pray that you would even prepare the church and him for more blessing under your care. And so God, attend to us now. Holy Spirit, help us desperately. I ask that you would help us Come around this passage of scripture, simple as, as it is, it's deep and meaningful for us as we consider to have lives, as we've prayed this morning, to be textured by you. And so we offer this prayer in Jesus' strong name, and together we said, amen. Well, I'll never forget the first time that I held her in my arms. I could literally feel, I could literally feel things stretching and expanding inside of me. Like I could feel this new texture of what it would mean to love. 
like growing in me, like really happening. There was also this, on the other side, a new level at which I knew I would feel pain and I would feel hurt because of what I was experiencing. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm describing. I'm talking about the first time you hold your child in your arms. And I'm saying that's true for all your children if you have more than one, but that first one does something to you. Like some some kind of gravity drops. And you know in that moment, for all the joy that is present, like you're getting to meet them for the first time, for all the joy that is present, you know there's a whole world at stake. There's a lot going on here. And you want to protect them from everything, don't you? You want to protect them from everything you can possibly protect them from. You know that's not entirely your full-time job because you can't really do that, but you, you, you know that there's a lot at stake. You have that ache because you know the world is a complex place. And you think about them growing up inside of it, and you know that social media is not going to make sense of it for them as much as they're going to gravitate toward that in time as you determine when they can have cell phones and such, Bumper sticker theologies and philosophies aren't going to explain it to them. The world is a dangerous place. It's complex, it's dangerous, and every person in this room has scars and limps to prove it. And it's not just the world out there left to ourselves. Isn't it true that our own hearts are a dangerous place? We have scars and limps because of what we've done with our own hearts in moments where we've just taken the mantra, follow your heart, and you've done that and you've landed on the other side in a hurtful place. And so like any loving parent, you stand there with your child in your arms and you know deeply that the formation of this precious life is somehow under my care. And you don't feel old enough to have that kind of responsibility. You're like, can I get a supervisor for this, right? But the formation of this life is under your care. The Apostle Paul, a spiritual father to the early church, especially the church at Galatia, draws on the dignity of a mother in labor pains And he tells the church what he wants for them. And he also tells them how badly he wants it. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the language, uh, the, the anguish of childbirth. Paul says, I so desperately want something for you. And what is it? Formation. Particularly that Christ would be formed in you, that the life of Jesus would not just have an influence on you, it would shape your loves, your vision, the texture of your life, your words, the way you act, the way you see people. Paul says this. What's amazing about Paul saying something like that, those are loaded words. Every woman in the room is like, who is the apostle Paul to get to talk about the anguish of childbirth? He's drawing on something. Before Paul can say that, here's what's fascinating about that verse to me. Before Paul can say that, he's had to recognize something true in the heart of God the Father before he can offer that as a father to the church. More than that's Paul's heart for the church, that's God's heart for you. God himself is in the anguish, as it were, the dignity of labor pains of a mother. Why? So that the life of his son would be formed in you. And so if you and I recognize how critical formation is as parents to our children, Paul sees how critical formation is as a spiritual father to the church. This this burden of formation over the last couple of years has come around the conversation we've been having in our community groups. We've recognized that the world at a rapid rate is trying to deform us deform us away from any notion of a biblical worldview and it's offering us hot takes to life's biggest questions. 
And so the question of our leadership community is becoming, well, if the world is deforming us at such a rapid rate away from a biblical vision, then what are we going to do to be counterformed, apply counterpressure toward the pattern of Jesus and the wisdom of Scripture? And notice that we're not having this conversation about counterformation across our community groups simply because we want more Bible studies and be people who flourish under biblical knowledge or trivia. We're having these conversations because we want to offer something prophetic. We want there to be something about our lives that we could offer to our communities, not just words that we would say with religious jargon, but lives that actually show Jesus really transforms people. And you don't have to have your life together to be transformed by Jesus. Actually, what qualifies you to be transformed by Jesus is having your life as a wreck. And he really does transform people who are a mess. Come and join us. And so as our community groups are about to jump back into this next season of counterformation, a focus particularly around identity, how we understand ourselves and who we are before God and in the world, I wanted to take some time this morning for us to consider again what it means to have your life shaped by Jesus. Not just to say you believe in him, but to have a life that also suggests the same. And so our text this morning, I think is a, somewhat of a familiar passage. You've probably read through the Sermon on the Mount before. You've read this passage about the wide road and the narrow road. You know that it comes right after the golden rule to treat other people as you'd wanna be treated yourself. It's familiar enough to us but it's probably also somewhat of a flyover passage. What's happening here where this passage shows up, it's in the most well-known teaching we have of Jesus. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the most sustained treatment we have on true discipleship, the most sustained treatment we have on life in the kingdom in Scripture. And so this teaching of the two roads, the two paths, it shows up at the ending of that sermon. And so what Jesus is doing, like the perfect preacher that he is, is he's drawing us to application. He's drawing us after two chapters of sustained treatment on life under his kingship. He's now driving us to the so what? You're a king. Okay, I think I might be believing that. What does that matter? So what? He wants to talk about the direction of your life. That's what he's doing. He wants to talk about the direction of your life and the road that you're on as you walk that journey. And here's why. Because the road that you're on is everything for where you wind up. It's everything. And not all roads lead to the same destination, contrary to popular belief, contrary to, you know, many kind of sort of religious views all landing us in the same spot. Not all roads lead to the same destination. And so here's what I want you to hear this morning. The process of formation is critical, and no one gets out of it. Every person in this world, Christian, non-Christian, everyone is being formed, Formation is happening everywhere. The question is, who or what will you allow to form you? You are giving yourself to formation influences. Who or what will be the primary in your life? So we're gonna work through this passage today, and I don't have any fireworks. I don't have any cool tricks. You might even think that some of this is a bit of a boring sermon. I wanna follow just the simple pattern of Jesus in this teaching. The simple pattern, and I want to keep it simple because sometimes simplicity helps us consider deeply. So we'll do it around these things. Two paths, two destinations, one command. Two paths, two destinations, one command. Look at, look at the verses again. We'll get to the paths. 
He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. There's all kinds of people there. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find that are far fewer. In fact, they're very few. And so when you read this, there's no mystery, there's no suspense as to which path Jesus is calling us to. That's a warning from the start, though. Just because it's pretty clear which one you should take doesn't mean that you sort of know which road you're on. That's the warning. Don't assume that you know which road you're on when you read this. You can see where Jesus is pointing you. Don't just assume that you're immediately in alignment with that. You see, the idea when we come to a passage of Scripture like this isn't to just study it and mine out all the details and sort of things in the passage. The idea when we come to Scripture is to let it study us. Let it expose in us what's true, not just assume that we know where we are with it. And so the first path, the, the first path described to us is the wide path. And we're told two things about it. We're told that it's easy and it's the road most traveled. We're told that it's easy and the road most traveled. So just picture it. It's this easy flowing thoroughfare. It's easy flowing because it's the way of living that's most natural to your current desires. There's no limitations on the wide road. It's no, there's no boundaries. There's no parameters. There's no laws on this road. The only laws on this road are against laws themselves. The only rules on this road are against rules themselves. The only institution on this road is the institution of self. Whatever you say goes. Whatever you say goes. You can go at your own pace. You can go as fast as you want. You can go as slowly as you want. There's no brake lights in front of you. No one is applying resistance to you. You get to do as you please. The wide road is well-worn, and there's tons of people on this highway. Tons of people on this highway. In front of you, behind you, into every side of you, and the path on this highway is where you justify whatever you're doing by saying, look, it's not a problem. Everybody's doing it. We're all sort of doing the same thing. We're all going this way. And don't question why I'm doing what I'm doing. You don't get to do that on this road. It's the wide path. And here's what's interesting about the wide path. You don't have to learn to travel on this path. It's instinctive to you. It's the way you would go anyway. You're born on the wide path. You're born on the wide path. So that's path number one Jesus tells us about. The second path we're told about is very different. It's called the narrow path. And the Greek word used there is, is interesting for narrow path. It means restricted. Even more, it means strangled. It's the strangled path. And we're told two things about it, just like the wide road. We're told that it's hard. And the word there means pressed or cramped. You say the, the narrow road feels like death or it sounds like death. Strangled and it's pressed and cramped. The narrow road will make you deal with death. And we're also told that there's significantly fewer people on it. So very different than the wide road. It's a single lane path and traffic moves one way and the boundaries are marked. The perimeters are, are, are clear and your direction is determined by someone else. You don't just get to do whatever you want on this path. You do what someone else, capital S E, someone else tells you to do. And there are obvious restrictions on this road, and they, sometimes they seem extreme, and they seem senseless to other people. 
Wide road travelers are gonna mock this road. They're gonna be claiming, saying, hey, your road is ridiculous. It's known more for what it's against than where it goes. Look at all the stuff you can't do on that road. Come back over here. You can do whatever you want over here. This road is hard. It's strangled. It's narrow. The path path isn't always clear all the time. There are times when it seems like you're the only person on this road. And there are times when it seems like not only you're the only person on this road, but you will even wonder, why am I still here? Why is it so, it would be so much easier if I were someone else and there seems to be off ramps all over the place on the narrow road and they seem to be attractive. You can get off anytime you want. Just know where this road is headed to life. What's interesting here, where you're born on the wide road, no one starts on this path. You merge over here and anyone on this path has chosen willingly and you don't get to this road without a fight and sometimes staying on this road feels like a fight. It feels like war. No one is on this road by accident. You would have never chosen this road for yourself to get on this road. You're invited to this road. You're drawn off of the wide road. And yet it takes an extreme act of the will to stay on this road. And Jesus says, these are the two paths. These are the two paths. Now, if you're like me, you hear that and you go, is that it? There's a wide road and a narrow road. Is is there not like a, a middle lane of a third option, you know, with like, you can freely weave in and out. Is there not something in the middle? Can we not even negotiate a creative third option where I can get the best of both, you know, like fast traffic, but also constructive things? Can I, can I have the best of both? And Jesus says, no, there's only two paths and you have to choose. This is really unpopular, isn't it? Because in a moment like this, Everything is about freedom. Everything is about expressing yourself. You don't get to tell me what my options are. I'll blaze a path for myself and I'll show you who I am based on the road I create for myself. And Jesus says, that sounds nice and good, but that's not how it is. The very manner in which Jesus has taught this entire sermon to this point has been drawing you and me to a point of decision. If we were to survey the Sermon on the Mount, he's taught so many things. He's drawing you to a point of decision and listen, The point he's drawing you to is not to say, do you agree with my teaching or not? He's drawing you to a point of decision to say, are you with me or not? Are you with me or not? There are two paths and only two. And so now the question becomes, well, how do I know which road I'm on? Don't just assume you know. How do I know which road I'm on? The wide path, let me give you a few diagnostics really quick. The wide path is marked by your desires and what you want as the prime factor in how you carry out your life. The wide road is marked by what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and just the way that I want it to meet the desires that I want. That's what drives my life. And you say, well, the wide path, I'm a Christian, so clearly I'm not on the wide path. Not not so fast. There are lots of people who would claim to be Christian who are on the wide path. They would claim to be Christian because Well, they're good with Jesus when life is convenient, and they're good with Jesus when life is really difficult, when they need like a life raft to help them out in a moment. They're happy to reach out to Jesus, but in between those two moments, he shows up nowhere, and life looks more like the rest of the world than it does a disciple of Jesus. The mantra, the religious mantra of the wide road is like the popular country song that says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. 
And listen, you should never follow someone like Jelly Roll. You know what I mean? If you were asking. And so the wide road says, Jesus is cool so long as he agrees with me and he's on my side. Now there's the narrow path. Some diagnostics here. Don't, don't mistake the narrow path for morality. We have this phrase, like walk the straight and narrow, and we just sort of attach that to issues of morality. When Jesus was delivering this sermon, he was delivering it to a multitude of people who didn't have their life together. Morality wasn't sort of so much in view. God's kingdom was first received by prostitutes, remember. First received by thieves and outcasts. And so the narrow path isn't primarily about obedience, although, or sorry, Morality, although it will include your morals, the narrow path is primarily marked by obedience to Jesus. So where the wide road is whatever you want, whenever you want it, the narrow road is obedience to Jesus. Another way of saying that is, the narrow road is more like, Jesus, you can give whatever you want, you can take whatever you want. It's your prerogative. It's your prerogative when what you want for your life and the word of Jesus are in conflict, the narrow road is marked by who wins that argument. Jesus wins that argument. When what you want and the word of Jesus are in conflict, the narrow road is marked by Jesus wins that debate. He says there's two paths, wide and narrow. Consider where your life is pointed. There's also two destinations. These roads lead to two very different places. Look at the passage again. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to where? Destruction. And those who enter by it are actually many. And for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to a different destination of life. And those who find it are few. Now the question you really you want to ask when you read this is to go, does Jesus really mean this? Does he really mean that one leads to life and the other leads to destruction? That's very, very different. Does he really mean that? I want you to hear this. When Jesus says this, he's not giving a threat. He's not wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount with a threat. You better get off the wide road or else. This isn't a threat. He's not giving you a religious scare tactic. This isn't fear-mongering. I'll tell you what Jesus is doing. This is an intervention. This is an intervention. I want you to consider where your life is pointed. Just like a good doctor will give you a prognosis, if you continue down this path, here's what will happen to you. But if you adjust your life, if you adjust your diet, if you adjust your activity, if you adjust some different things, then very different outcomes will come. That's what he's doing. This is a good doctor, some call him the great physician, giving you an accurate and honest prognosis. Now here's, here's what's interesting about the prognosis. We have a problem with it. We have a problem with it. And I don't think that your problem or my problem is so much that we don't believe that the narrow road really leads to life. We believe that. The narrow road leads to life. What we struggle to believe is that the wide road actually leads to destruction. Because the wide road looks so attractive and many people who are on it seem to be getting away with it and their lives oftentimes look better than ours on the narrow road. Does it really lead to destruction? And so for most of us, our problem isn't the extremes, like we're, we're wanting to just, you know, get our life off the rails and just go do something crazy. Most of us are just so attracted by the offer of the wide road. And even though we know we shouldn't take it, 
We're constantly trying to negotiate and justify a blended third way. We're saying this, how can I get as much of the pleasure, how can I get as much of the pleasure of the wide road as possible while still remaining on the narrow road for heaven's sake? How can I do that? How can I get as much of the world as I can? How can I have as much fun that I want to have on my own terms and still be good enough with God to get away with it? That's how most of us are trying to negotiate. We don't really believe the wide road leads to destruction. I want just enough to still have my fun because I don't believe Jesus offers that. That's a lie we believe. And so we'll say things, at least in our internal conversation like this. Hey, I work hard. I'm faithful to my spouse. I take care of my family. And so who cares if I drink too much when I go to the lake? Most of my life is in between the lines. I go to church on most Sundays I take care of my stuff between, between, between Sundays during the week. And so what happens on Fridays or on business trips is no one else's business. We allow ourselves a wide road release valve. I have a strong conviction about conservative values. And so what I look at on my phone and how I handle my sexual desires is no one else's business. No one else is getting hurt. So you tell yourself. And so the reason that I think that we don't often take Jesus serious on this is that because most of us are trying to live a third way, we're trying to balance the moral game so long as our lives stay intact enough for us to feel like we can excuse ourselves with permission to play on the side, and we call that Christianity. I'm mostly Christian. The problem is, Jesus says, there's only two paths. There's not a soft middle, and there's only two destinations. And if you're in a soft middle, it's more like the wide road destination than the narrow. The soft middle, if there is such a thing, is drunk religion. It's not sober on either side, but you're playing a religious game to make yourself feel better. You're playing fast and loose with grace and with destruction, and that doesn't go well. You say, yeah, 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 yeah. But come on, destruction? That sounds a little heavy-handed. Destruction? Like, come on, destruction? Here's how to answer that question. With a question. (laughs) But does the wide road really lead you to life? You're wondering if it actually leads to destruction. I would say, does it actually lead to life? Don't you know that the most unhappy person in the world is the Christian trying to live in sin? That's the most unhappy person in the whole world. You can't enjoy the sin because you know too much of what's true in God. And you can't enjoy God because of your hypocrisy and your guilt on the other side. The most unhappy person in the world is the Christian trying to live in sin. And so the answer of whether or not the wide road leads to destruction, yes. It leads to destruction and it also doesn't even lead you to life. And so for many of you in the room, I know that there are reasons, uh, there, there are areas of your life where you've spent so long nibbling at the table of the world that it's difficult for you to believe that Jesus could actually be worth it to merge off the wide road and stay the narrow. It's difficult to believe, but just because you don't believe he's worth it doesn't mean it's not true. I'll just put it plain like this before moving to the final point. You might have a thousand regrets in your life. If you're like me, you probably have at least a thousand a thousand regrets in your life, but the narrow road will never be won. The narrow road will never be won. And so what do we do? Jesus tells us there's two paths, there's two destinations. I told you no fireworks, we're just taking his progression today. 
And so notice the command Jesus gives us, the last piece today, the way forward. Verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate. He gives this statement of authority. I love this. Jesus isn't blinking. He's not wavering when he says this. He says this flat-footed, and he means it. And this is the radical thing about Jesus, because he completely redefines the way we understand life and identity. He redefines it. What I mean by that is he doesn't say that he has advice about the good life. He doesn't say that he has some good thoughts about how to find yourself and know who you are. What he says is that the good life and understanding who you are is so entirely bound up in him that to grow in those things comes to the degree at which you're attached to him. You will only experience the good life and know who you are to the degree in which you're attached to Jesus. That's radical. So he says, enter by the narrow gate. What's the gate? It's not a path. It's not a road. The gate is a person. The gate is a person. Buddhism gives you the eightfold path. Islam gives you five pillars. Hinduism gives you karma. This is all about how you can reach to God. Christianity is all about how God reaches to you. And so in John 10, he calls himself the door. In John 14, he says, I am the way. Here in Matthew 7, he says, I am the gate. I am the gate. I wanna give you this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's, it's a lengthy, but I think, it's, I think it's really helpful. He says, the Christian way, the Christian path is different. It's both harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time or so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you. And I've not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. <laughs> think of the narrow road. It means strangled. You will be pressed. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here or there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over the natural self, the whole natural self, and all the desires which you think to be innocent as well as the ones you know to be wicked. I want the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Both are harder and easier than what we're trying to do. You've noticed, I expect, that Christ himself sometimes describes the Christian life as very hard and sometimes as very easy. He says, take up your cross. In other words, it's gonna be like beaten to death in a concentration camp. And the next minute he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he means both of those things. And one can just see why both are true. And so attaching yourself to Jesus it means the narrow road. There's only one place for life, and there's only one place for identity, and it's attached to him. You can't find it in Jesus plus, it's Jesus only. And so it's true, right? Like, the narrow road is gonna press you. And at times, the narrow road will feel like it's working against you. But that's only because it's guiding you toward a deeper life and working out of you you can get on the narrow road, but working out the wide road ways takes a long time. And that's why at times it feels like it's strangling you, but it leads to life. And here's the big finish today. Maybe the thing that I love about Jesus more than anything else is that anything that he offers us, any teaching that he gives to us, he always goes first. He always practices what he preaches, I'll say it that way. He always goes first. So Jesus tells us about the narrow path, but Jesus also knows something about a narrow path, a narrow road, 
that leads to life. Consider your Lord in the narrow and hard road he took to Calvary. Consider the narrow path that literally strangled him. Consider hands and feet pierced, a skull that was crushed to take the judgment. Listen, he's taking judgment there not because of things he had done. He's taking judgment there in the place of any wide road traveler who would want to reroute. And he's taking everything of judgment so that you can get everything of grace on the narrow road. Consider the dark tomb that made it look like the destination of life was a lie. It strangled him, and there he is buried. But consider the empty tomb that reminds us that this offer of life is more real than any of us could ever imagine, and the only way to find this life is when you are formed by and you are attached by the one who is both himself the gate and the destination. He comes out the other side of the narrow road with resurrection life, not just to call you to that road, but to join you on that road filling you with everything you need to stay the course. And so I end with one question and one thing to consider. They'll be on the screen. Where in your life are you negotiating with the wide road? Where in your life do you want to be on the narrow but give yourself a wide road release valve? Where are you negotiating? What in your life do you know is against what Jesus would have for you, but it feels too good to give up. The soft middle is drunk religion. It never, it never takes you where, you where you think it does. Here's the thing to consider. Consider all the ways you've regretted going your own way. But I want you to also consider that you've never regretted following Jesus on the narrow road. There's never been a moment where giving Jesus your yes has, has landed in regret. You might be confused at times. You might not know where you are at times. You might not even know why you're still there at times, but you've never regretted it. But I can tell you of a thousand regrets of everywhere else. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Let's pray.